Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is A Way Forward, Part 2. Last time, as luck would have it, we had A Way Forward, Part 1. And uh, what that was about uh, was basically the sense that there are these beautiful prophecies in the Old Testament and the New Testament of what a wonderful world this is going to become at some point, full of love and the presence of God and uh, just a heaven on earth is, is coming our way. But how do we get there from here with all these so many mass shootings, you can't even remember how many there are, and, and all this other mayhem that's going on in our world. Wow, how would we get there from here? And what does the Bible have to say about that? And so uh, last time we sort of talked in general about the entire scope of the journey. This time I'm actually going to focus down on sort of a first step, uh, um, uh, which I might, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, refer to as you cry out and God ignores you. (laughs) That's the first step. And it's very important, and I think I can explain tonight why it's so important uh, that, that it goes that way. Uh, so if you'd like to take that fascinating journey with us, please do, good friends, and let's open with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth, the Word made flesh. We thank you, Lord God, for bringing us together in your name and for giving us the pages of your word. Please give us light to understand what it is, inspire our hearts with what it is that we need to do. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Sending love to all of you nice people here in the room and those of you out there online and on the phone and getting the audio. Great pleasure to be with you again. And uh, let's look first at passages. This is a passage we actually read last time. Um, Let's start in Exodus, almost all the way to the left in your Bible, second of the five books of Moses. Let's go to Exodus chapter 2. This is a point that we talked about a little bit last time. You don't have to have heard that one. But where the children of Israel had fallen into a kind of um, difficult uh, slavery, uh, you know, things had degraded for them. Uh, look at verses 23 to the end of that chapter in Exodus 2. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. Yeah, so this is what I'm saying is kind of a first step is this cry goes up to God. You know, if we're trying to get out of, if getting out of Egypt is some picture of how we get out of our current situation and move toward a heaven on earth, seems like one of the first things is to cry out to God. Now, in this case, God doesn't ignore them. It seems like there's pretty quick um, things happened here. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Yes. Now, it seems to happen in that order. They cry out. Then God goes, oh, that's right. I was supposed to have a covenant. We had an agreement. Oh, that's right. And so God, you know, now looks kindly on them. And and it was a good thing that they cried out, because maybe he wouldn't have um, otherwise. Uh, turn to the right, if you will. We're just skipping through some. Go through Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges to 2 Samuel 22. Um, let's go. There's another passage about crying out to the Lord. There's a lot of these kind of things in Scripture. But look at verses 4 to 7 there. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Okay, now that could be sort of a motto of the movement right there, couldn't it? You know, call on the Lord and this is how we'll be saved. This is like one of the first things we need to do in order to be saved from our enemies. Go on. When the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. 
The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry entered his ears. Yes, and then he takes action and comes down. A very powerful passage, but it just seems as though we get in a bad situation. The waves of death are all around us. Sorrows of hell are all around us. Then we cry out. And then it's like the Lord sort of remembers and, oh, yeah, okay, and I'll, I'll help you out. And, and comes down, bows the heavens and comes down and all that sort of stuff. I love that passage, but there's another passage about that. There's a bunch of these in the Psalms. Let's go to the middle of your Bible and go to Psalm 30, if you will. And uh, we'll just read a few such passages. Um, yeah, let's just start with at the beginning of Psalm 30 there. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Mm. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. Yeah, stage one, we cry out. Stage two, he heals us. It's, we seem to be the ones who start the process off. What does it say in verse three there? O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Yeah, that's right. And so the Lord provides this salvation, but you have to cry to the Lord. And it repeats that theme towards the end of the psalm there. Uh, how about Psalm 34? Um, look at verses 4 to 7. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. See, it's always, we always start it. We seek the Lord and then the Lord takes action. Go on. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. For some reason, I really like that verse there. You know, this poor man cried out. Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles. And then this beautiful statement in verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Yes, indeed. How about Psalm 107? These are just uh, fun sort of scriptures on this theme. Uh, Look at verses 17 to 22 there in Psalm 107. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Oh, I see. It's like our fault. Go on. <laughs> their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. And then? Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. Mm. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Mm. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. You see a theme here, like every time we cry out, cry out then the Lord takes action, but we have to do the, make the first step. Psalm 120. Oh, just look at the, uh, you know, the first few verses there of Psalm 120. In my distress, I cried to the Lord and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. That's right. And so, uh, again, crying out, then you get a solution. Psalm 130, a very famous one there. Maybe we should read that whole thing. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Mm. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word do I hope. Now that waiting is a very beautiful verse, but the waiting implies a little bit that you 
put out the cry, but it's then like, you know, you're just waiting. You're hoping the Lord uh, takes care of it at some point. Go on. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Mm. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. I think there's such a beautiful feeling in there, isn't there, of, of like an intense desire, uh, you know, just wanting and wanting this, you know, hoping for the Lord to come and waiting on Him and watching more than people who watch for the morning. This great desire for the Lord. Go on. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is abundant redemption, mm. and He shall redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Yeah, perhaps the implication is eventually, you know, we're in the depths, we cry out to the Lord, we wait on the Lord, we watch and we hope for the Lord more than those who wait for the morning, uh, but eventually the Lord will, will take care of it all. And look at Psalm 142. Uh, again, we might want to read this whole little psalm there. Oh, look at this. Look at where it takes place. Do you read, see that little heading underneath? A contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. Oh, he was in the cave. All right. This is probably when he was chasing Saul around and hiding out and all that kind of thing. Go on. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. Hmm. In the, in the Sounds like he didn't know it before that or something, but go on. Hmm. Hmm. In the way in which I walk... They have secretly set a snare for me. Mm. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Mm. You ever felt that? It's not a good feeling. Go on. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Again, the entire psalm there happens in the cry out phase before you really get an answer. And there's a, a faith that it's going to come. But there's this crying and, and pleading with the Lord uh, that the persecutors are stronger and so on and uh, wants to be brought out of prison. So this is the state I'm talking about, this crying out to the Lord and, and seeking the Lord and uh, feeling distressed, feeling attacked, longing for the Lord, wanting the Lord to come. But sometimes, sometimes it's very quick. I cried to the Lord and he heard me. Cried to the Lord, he heard me. But sometimes I cried to the Lord, I waited, I waited like people are waiting all night for the sun to come up and so on. So sometimes there's a little more of a sense of delay in there. Turn to the right, good friends, and let's go through Isaiah and Jeremiah. At the very end of Jeremiah, which is 52 chapters long, if memory serves, there is Lamentations. Blink and you miss it. And uh, let's go to Lamentations chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Good old Lamentations, you know. You can count on lamentations or some <laughs> material like this. 2 verses 18 and 19. Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears run down like a river day mm. and night. Mm. Give yourself no relief. Give your eyes no rest. Wow. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift your hands toward him for the life of your young children who faint from hunger at the, at the head of every street. Yeah, very potent. I don't know. That's just beautiful, isn't it? And, but this idea of just crying out, pleading with the Lord uh, for help uh, because the situation is kind of miserable. And let's um, go to the right through Ezekiel and Daniel. And then we're going to go into the minor prophets, which come up pretty quickly. Hosea, 
Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. We're trying to go to Jonah, whom you may have heard of. Um, uh, this is another one of those kind of things like the psalm where he cries out and it seems like he gets heard pretty quickly. Uh, Jonah 2, verse 2. Wait a minute, I got lost. That's all right. Joel, before Hosea, Joel, Amos, Joel. he's to the right of Joel. Amos. Amos. Obadiah. And then... Jonah. Right. Jonah 2. There you go. 2, verse 2. <laughs> okay. Oh, Wait let's read verses 1 and 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. He was in this miserable, absolutely powerless situation of being swallowed by this great fish, and he prays to the Lord from there. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Yes, Sheol is a, a word for hell, several words for hell in, in the Old New Testament. And so out of the belly of hell I cried, and you heard my voice. Same kind of feeling, isn't it? Some similar sort of thing. Uh, let's go into the New Testament to Matthew chapter 20. It comes up pretty quickly when you go to the right there. Um, look at verses 29 to 34. This is a New Testament miracle, and they cry out. Now, as they went out of, Jer of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? Okay, so they cry out the first time. He doesn't do anything, and the crowd rebukes him. So they cry out even more. Finally, he stops, and then he just says, What, what do you want me to do for you? Not exactly ignored, but it's not like a rapid response situation. You know, they have to kind of insist and press a little bit to get, to get the Lord's attention. And then he says, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Mm. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. So it seems like he didn't have compassion until they said, look, our eyes, you know, hello, we're, we're blind, you know, and then he has compassion and he heals them. Uh, so these are interesting stories. And one thing that I think they serve to teach us is that, um, you know, doesn't it say, doesn't Swedenborg say in Apocalypse Revealed that when it says... Um, let those who thirst come and take the water of life freely and that kind of thing. It says that anyone who knows anything about the, what he calls the new church should pray that it may come with light. You know, even so come Lord Jesus kind of, you know, that we're supposed to be begging for this to happen. So it's very important that we cry out to the Lord. But isn't it the, tr the truth, friends, that it can be sort of frustrating. Sometimes you feel like you're stuck in one of those psalms and not the other one where you're crying out and you're not particularly getting an answer. You're waiting and hoping for the Lord, and, but you're not really getting an answer. It's a little bit like this story in Luke. Turn to the right. Go to Luke 11. It's after Mark there. And... Uh, this is right after he's talking to them about prayer. He just told them the, the, the Lord's Prayer. And then pick up in verse 5, and let's go down to like 13 down there. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Strange little story to tell right after you said, Here's a prayer. 
say this prayer, but by the way, I'm not going to answer you. Isn't that what it implies? <laughs> like, go ahead, knock your heart out, but I'm going to tell you, hey, I'm in bed. Never mind. I, I'm not getting up. Go on. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Yeah, so you just got to bang the door down, yeah, you know, like he's kind of ignoring you or not really responding the way you want. So if you're praying, you got to really pound on the door. Well, that's disturbing, isn't it? Uh, especially if you feel like you're doing that in, in your own life and feel like, well, come on. Now, what does the Lord say after this? He does give us some hope. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So it's kind of saying like those psalms, like you will get an answer at some point. Hang in there, you know, be persistent. Uh, knock on that door. Just go ahead and be persistent and you'll, you'll, you'll eventually get what you're looking for. Uh, but it's a little disturbing that image of like we knock on the Lord's door and then the Lord says, uh, oh man, you know, it's late. <laughs> you know, I don't want to take care of this now can you do something else and and so what is going on there what what is the picture that we're dealing with um and how does that translate so we're crying out to the lord and we want a different world we want a better world we want, want to understand what we can do to make it a better world uh how do we get to heaven from here it seems like a very clear first step is just to say please lord you know, we're surrounded by enemies and persecutors and what have you, meaning spiritual forces that are preying on the human race and, and our own hearts. And we want to get away from here. Please help us. Uh, and then how quickly or not quickly does that help come? And what's going on with that? It can be kind of frustrating. Well, I want to read a different set of passages to you. A different set. Okay, let's go to Revelation. Let's read them backwards, just for fun. We'll start at Revelation, so go all the way to the right in your Bible. Because these create a somewhat different impression. See if I can articulate this. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. It's a prediction of Jesus coming in the clouds. So let's read 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Huh. Well, what seems a little different about that to me is like all those other passages we just read sound like you're sitting in your cave or your pit or the belly of your whale or whatever your misery du jour is, and you're crying out to God, and he may or may not respond. But this is going in the other order, isn't it? The Lord appeared, he comes, then you cry. Well, it's just a little different. See what I'm saying? Oh, mourn. You know? Then, then there's this wailing, then there's this crying out that happens after the Lord comes. Okay, uh, let's go back to the left to, uh, let's say, Matthew 24. Where else? So go back to Matthew 24, all the way through the Gospels, and I want to read 2430. These are, again, predictions of the end of times and what's going to happen and what's going to happen when the Son of Man appears in the clouds. And look at 24, verse 30, a very potent verse. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Yeah, now wait a minute. So wait a minute. He appears first and then people start crying. Right? <laughs> it's not, wah, 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 and then the Lord appears. No, the Lord appears and then they start, they start crying and wailing and everything, right? It wasn't a very good imitation, but you know. And uh, let's turn to the left. Uh, go... Okay, so we're going to go, so go, go carefully here. We go 
to the left through Malachi. Let's get to Zechariah chapter 12, second to last of those minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament there. And look at 12, verse 10. What is the Lord going to do here? And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Oh, the, wow. The Lord is going to pour on us the spirit of grace and of what? Supplication. What, what do you read? Or what does supplications mean? Oh, that means like asking and begging and... Wait a minute. You mean the Lord is going to pour on us a spirit of begging and crying out? That's what it says. That's what it says. Go on. <laughs> So let's look at what the effect is. Let's see. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Wow. So wait a minute. This is totally on its head from what we just read. What's going on here is that the Lord pours on us a spirit of pleading and begging. Wait a minute, I thought I was in my cave. I thought I was pounding on that door. You know, the Lord, wait a minute, so the Lord pours that into us and then we mourn and we feel this bitter grief and all that. Interesting, okay. All right, let's see which one's next. Let's see, all right. Okay, turn to the left and go through the other minor prophets. Get to Daniel, which is fairly sizable. Comes to the left of Hosea. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Look at verses 13 to 15 there in Daniel 7. Daniel has this amazing vision. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Okay, let's hit pause there for a moment because there's a lot in there, and it's very beautiful. Daniel is seeing this vision of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, and kind of uniting with the Ancient of Days, and he's given a dominion and glory and a kingdom, and it's not so that one group or one denomination would serve him, but that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. So that's a powerful vision. Wow, is that going to happen? That's what I'm talking about. That's the way forward. You know, how, how do we get there? And not only that, but this dominion is not going to be sort of short or little flash in the pan thing like most things in our world. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that won't be destroyed. Wow, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is the vision of, wow, we're going to, all these people from different backgrounds and different denominations are going to gather together in love with the Lord, and they're going to see the Lord, and, and that's going to be permanent. How does Daniel react? Verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Hmm. And look down at verse 28, because he ponders this some more and, you know, has some more visions and so on. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed but I kept the matter in my heart. Mm. Wasn't there a Mary person who kept some stuff in her heart too at mm. one point? I forget who she was. But the, um, yeah, wow. So he, he, he kept these things in his heart and he sees this magnificent vision of a world full of love and people getting the nations getting along together and seeing the Lord and he's just grief stricken. But it happens in that order. He didn't cry out, and then the Lord showed up. The Lord showed up, and then he experienced the grief. Aha. Okay, plot thickens, as it always does with Scripture. Okay, let's go back to the left to Isaiah. So you go through Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah. 
Get back to Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. This is the vision that, that Isaiah has. Uh, let's just read the first five verses there, shall we? That just sounds like fun. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Mm. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Is. The whole earth is full. It's not going to be at some future time or something. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh-huh. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried mm. out. And the house was filled with smoke. Mm. And so Isaiah said, I'm so happy and I'm just glad I lived to see this. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Yeah, his reaction is... He goes into grief, like Daniel did, you know? He sees this fantastic vision. So what is going on here? I'll have some thoughts for you in a bit, but let's just read a couple more of these. They're kind of fun. Look, okay, let's go all the way back to Genesis. We started in Revelation. Why not go to Genesis? And let's look at Genesis 42. This is the story of Joseph. We did quite a number of Bible studies on this once upon a time. And... At this particular point in the story, Joseph has been sold into slavery. He rose up, and now he's second in command, running the whole place and saving everybody from this famine. And his brothers, who think he's been long dead, have come down to Egypt to try to buy grain because they were all starving back where they were. Look at verses 5 to 7, and how does Joseph react when he sees his long-lost brothers? And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Mm. And how does Joseph react? Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And pretty soon he's accusing them of being spies. Hmm. Hmm. So what is Joseph feeling? Wow. Look, it's my brothers. So great. Hey, what are you doing here? Right? He made himself a stranger to them, spoke roughly to them. Interesting. I'll tell you in a bit why that came to mind, but maybe you can see already. And the last scripture I wanted to read is in Genesis 1. Why not? Why not go all the way to the beginning? Let's read the first three verses of the Bible right there. And I'll explain why I wanted to read those. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Mm. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And if you know Swedenborg's interpretation of the Bible, he takes this whole thing very psychologically and spiritually. This is about spiritual development of the individual and of the culture as a whole. And so I submit to you in those three verses, the earth was without form and void. Did the earth say, help us, God, you've got to help us. And then God said, oh, okay, I'll give you light. Is that how that story went? No. No, it didn't go that way. What happened? The Spirit of God was moving on the face of the water, and God said, we're going to do light. And, and light happened, you know? Large and in charge. You know, that's, that's what he, he, he was in charge. It wasn't anything about, you know... <laughs> It wasn't anything about these uh, people crying out to him or something like that. He's the active party, and yet this is, this is the same story 
Okay, so what are some thoughts about this? Well, here's the thought that came to me. First of all, you may have heard me say this before, good friends, but I must say, on the, on the, face, just, uh, on the face of it, for someone who's entirely about divine truth, who is actually constituted of 100% divine love and divine truth, and you would think divine truth would be all about total transparency. The Lord, you could say, is actually very sneaky, I would say. For someone who's all about divine truth, the Lord is very sneaky. And so um, I think that these are two sides of the same coin. And one is from our perspective. All the passages we read at first is from our perspective. From our perspective, we're sitting in a cave and we go, this is unacceptable. I can't bear this. Cry out to the Lord. God, get me out of this situation. Pound on the door. Pound some more. No, I don't want to help you. Just like Joseph, right? Didn't the guy who came to the door and said, no, I'm, you know, I'm already in bed. Forget it. Isn't that like Joseph being rough and strange and just, you know, I'm a strange, you know, I'm not, not treating you all nice as if you're my brothers or something. And um, uh, so from our perspective, we're pleading with the Lord to try to get him to respond. And then he uh, either eventually or pretty soon hears us and he responds, oh, that's right. We had a covenant. I'm so sorry. You know, I'll take care of you now. Uh, and so it, the, the appearance is like we're 100% the driver of the situation. And if we pound hard enough for long enough, the Lord's teaching you to pray. And he says, do it like this. You pound on that door and eventually he'll give you what you want, not for any friendship, but just because you drove him nuts. You know, you banged on the door so much. He just, okay, you know, uh, that's the way he depicts it. And yet, we read all those passages when we went the other way from Revelation to Genesis where the Lord comes in and then the grief happens. The Lord shows up and then we have some grief. And what I was thinking about this in this past week, good friends, is that I never understood before that that crying out, that state of frustration, of pounding on the Lord's door, and wanting him to respond and feeling a little frustrated, like maybe you're being ignored or maybe you're not pounding hard enough or you didn't really mean it or something, is a very blessed gift from the Lord that the sneaky Lord got you to do and to think you're doing. He was the active party. We were without form and void. We could have just stayed without form and void. When you're without form and void, let's look at the children of Israel down, down in the land of Egypt. They could have just felt like, well, slavery is all I've ever known. It's all right. I get to eat. Someone else tells me what to do. I don't have to think too much. You know, why were they upset? Why did they think that was a bad situation? The Lord poured out that spirit of grace and supplications. That's what we read there, right? He pours out that spirit of grace and supplications. The first blessing we get from the Lord is that discontent, you know, that sense that this is not right, this is not okay. And so it's clear to me, we will never move individually from hell to heaven if we think it's just fine and we have no problem with it. Why, you know, wow, to leave, you think about the children of Israel leaving the land of Egypt, uh, wow, you're going to need you know, isn't there a thing in physics where they call it the event horizon or something where you need a certain amount of energy just to get something to happen? How much energy does it take to keep doing the same thing? It takes energy, but not much. How much energy does it take to uproot 600,000 people and move them out into the wilderness and figure out a whole new lifestyle? A huge amount of energy. Where are you going to get that energy from to leave everything you've known and start just from scratch, just out in the wild blue yonder, um, you know, headed up to the Holy Land. How is that? You, you, we've got to have some fuel for that journey. So the Lord wants to give us that fuel in the form of this burning desire that we have. He places that desire, that sense of that it's not right. That, you know, this should be different. This sense of 
I'm in a cave and I don't want to be in a cave. I'm in the belly of a great fish and I don't want to be here. You know, we as humans are very capable. We're capable of just living in Egypt and thinking, that's so, that's fine. I don't know, I guess, right? It's from the, I'd never understood that before, but it's from the Lord. The first movement that the Lord takes when he says, let there be light the first movement he takes, what does the light show you? Oh, I didn't realize I was without form and void until the light turned on. Now I see that uncomfortable experience. And you might sort of go, Lord, I'm without form and void. Help me here. <laughs> but you wouldn't know that if he hadn't turned on the lights. He, he, he's the active party, but he's very sneaky. He's got nothing to gain by making you think that he took the first move. So he's quietly sows something in your heart, this, this sense of unrest, of unease, this, this sense of there's got to be something better than this. And why isn't my relationship with the Lord better? And why doesn't he answer my prayers? You know, and pounding on his, you know, he's sowing that like that's, and, and I think he, you know, he doesn't want us to suffer, but he kind of wants that to build up. We're going to have to have enough fuel here to get outside of the event horizon, you know, when you blast a rocket into space, you don't just take a rubber band and go, you know, it takes an enormous amount of energy to escape the gravitational pull and everything get out there. Uh, once you're out there, you can, you can fly around. But man, getting started, you need, you need a whole lot of fuel to get started. And so the Lord wants to bless us with this deep desire and longing that is unfulfilled, you know? Ah, it, it's just, it, it amazes me. Uh, and so I think that's why that story is framed that way about pounding on the door and the Lord at first says, no, I'm not, you know, not interested. And I think it's why a lot of these stories are framed like the Lord loves that appearance and wants to preserve it. And I'm going against it tonight. So I'll be in trouble. I'll probably be hit by lightning. But the, um, that appearance in the Psalms of, I cried to the Lord, and then he helped me. Then he had compassion. You know, the Lord wants us to take the initiative and feel like we've got to do this. And so uh, in terms of moving forward, how to move ourselves forward from hell to heaven, how to move uh, our whole culture forward, there's got to be some crying, right? There needs to be some grief. And... I, honestly, the center of this topic is still mysterious to me. I don't know why it is that one person responds to that and another doesn't. You know, why do some people feel that? They're just open to feeling that uncomfortable feeling of like, this is not nearly good enough. Surely there's something better. Who wants slavery? I mean, slavery is horrible, you know, like that. Some people are receptive to that feeling. Some people aren't. But the Lord wants to give us that feeling. So it's a little mystical to me how you do that. But I think uh, it's good if we leave ourselves open and to that feeling and appreciate that a little bit, that longing. I mean, to me, it's just been a major source of frustration in my life of feeling like I just wasn't getting the answers and I wasn't making the progress that I wanted to make. And it's kind of fun now to look back and feel like, oh, the Lord is so sneaky you know, like he just got me super frustrated you know and so i just had a big head of steam like i want to go come on pounding down the door you know and thinking it's all me and uh then the lord can show you later no nope. actually that was me and the lord so you see what i mean the lord's presence his increased presence with us is what inspires that desire we that's how the two passages sets of passages fit together i think is that first of all in reality, the Lord shows up and pours on us that, that uh, you know, the supplications, that spirit of supplications of, of begging and pleading with the Lord. And then we mourn and then we're crying and everything like that. We don't even cry. We don't even see how bad it is until we're blessed by the Lord to realize, wow, this is not nearly, you know, this is not heaven on earth. We're not there yet. You know, there's lots of good things, lots of good people doing good things to each other and so on. But we are not, this is not nearly good enough. That's a blessing from the Lord that comes in at some point. Uh, just, uh, 
Two more scriptures, I think. Let's go into the New Testament. I don't know how else to describe it. Sort of halfway between John and the book of Revelation. Is it Hebrews back there? I want to go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hmm. This came to mind. Verses 12 and 13. This just wonderful statement about the Word. The nature of what the Word does for us. Look at verses 12 and 13 there. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Mm. The Word can tell you what you're thinking and what you're feeling, because left to our own devices, we don't really know what's going on with us. Look at verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so everything's revealed to the Lord. It's an obvious appearance that we would cry out to the Lord and he would remember his covenant. You know, like he is, not, he is his covenant. He's not forgetting the covenant. He didn't need us to remind him. You know, he didn't need us to... Like the blind people who cry out to the Lord, you know, why do they have to cry twice and then they have to deal with the rebuke from the crowd before the Lord finally stops and says, okay, what do you want me to do for you? That's just an appearance. Why are they crying out? The Lord planted in their heart the sense that they were blind, the sense that the Lord could do something about it, right? They're responding to something the Lord is putting into them, but he's acting like a stranger. He's acting all tough like Joseph is to the brothers. Like, okay, you want me to? All right, okay, I'll do that. But he's secretly super, super happy. The Lord is smiling. You may remember the Joseph story that at one point Joseph has to just excuse himself and go in the back room and weep, you know, because he's so moved by being with his brothers, but got to, you know, put his game face on and just, you know, go out there and, and be the Egyptian and everything until he finally reveals himself to them. And one other scripture I wanted to read to you, back at the beginning of Matthew there, so turn to the left and go back to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 26 (laughs) in the Sermon on the Mount, just want to read this one verse here, kind of haunting. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Yes, it was talking in the previous verse about prison and that you won't get out of prison till you've paid the last penny. Is that what your translation says? That's what mine says. Yes, my old King James says, the uttermost farthing, you know, the last penny. You won't get out of there. We're not going to get out of Egypt. Swedenborg explains this a couple of different ways, but in his spiritual experiences, he quite early on, he explains this as meaning that when we go through these difficult emotional experiences, and some of them he's describing are things we go through after we, we die, where we, we go through a kind of despair, and the, the, the process is not complete until you hit that final utter despair. Then the Lord steps in and can rescue you, so it's not, you, you, you don't get out of that prison until you've paid the last penny. Again, that can sound sort of harsh, like, oh, he's so demanding, you know. But what I see in there is that the Lord is saying, oh, there is a way to get out of prison. Just pay off the debt. You know, there, there's a way out. Uh, it's, it's just going to cost you, like, it'll cost you to that last penny, uh, to get out of there. It is, it's not going to be a shortcut or something. So when we're talking about getting out of a situation in our own lives or in a world culture that has some infernal things in it, you know, a little more killing than one would particularly enjoy, you know, and uh, things like that. How do we get out of here? Well, you know, we won't get out until we've hit a level of despair, uh, until we've cried out till we really get fed up you know as long as we're still sort of tolerating it it's likely to continue in some form or another but when we get to that final point of despair 
and cry out to the Lord because he put that desire in our hearts. Maybe we can start to take that move forward into that beautiful vision that Daniel had. All the languages, all the nations, all the people coming together, gathering around the Lord in love, uh, getting along with one another, loving one another. Uh, maybe we can move in that direction. So those are my thoughts tonight about the beginning of a way forward. Thank you for your attention, good friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word. Thank you for little glimpses of what lies ahead, some sort of instructions about how to go, who you are, what the nature of these appearances are that your word is written in, what the reality is that lies behind it. We thank you, Lord, for your tremendous love. Without you, would we ever even realize that we're without form and void. Thank you for inspiring our hearts, even though we don't understand it. Thank you for inspiring our hearts with that desire, that longing, that grief, just being grief-stricken. Once we have seen, especially when we've seen you, your presence awakens that grief in us. But that's just the beginning, Lord, of you calling us in your direction. Then we cry out to you, thinking we're just acting on our own. And you do hear us, and you help us and save us from all our enemies. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so we can find our way out.